Hello, you're listening to Earth Matters, produced in the studios of 3CR Radio Fitzroy, Victoria, on the lands of the Wurundjeri and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. Earth Matters, we bring you environment and social justice stories. I'm Kerry Lee Harding. Coming up on Earth Matters, I'm joined by Jolie Gerges, an award-winning climate scientist and a writer from the University of Melbourne, on her new publication, A Sunburnt Country, a book on the history and the future of climate change. And I first started off by asking Joelle, what was her interest in writing a book on climate change in Australia? Well, I've always had an interest in natural history and I did a science degree and a PhD in climatology. And then I was really interested in trying to learn about the long-term drought history of Australia. And when I started looking into it, I found that those records only really began in 1900. And that doesn't really give us a long-term history of drought in our country. So I was interested to see how we could try and take that further back. How do you do that in practical terms? So in practical terms, you can use things like historical records. So the early colonial diaries that are present um, in the in national and state libraries, uh, things like farm records, even artworks and paintings, um, early newspapers. And you can also use early weather records that uh, exist before 1900 as well. And beyond that time, we also have um, records from the natural world, so things like tree rings and corals and ice cores that span back hundreds of years and even thousands of years in some cases. So when you put all, all of that information together, you could actually start to reconstruct our climate history for the first time in a way that we hadn't been able to really do before. That research in particular must have taken some time to get through. Yeah, it was a really big process. I was lucky enough to have some uh, funding by the Australian Research Council and I had a range of different organisations involved, uh, including the Bureau of Meteorology, the National Library, the State Library in Victoria and a range of other organisations. And so we actually uh, got together and thought about the best way of trying to reconstruct our our climatic past. And I also had um, some uh, PhD students working with me on the project. So it wasn't me on my own um, because it was a huge task. And it took, overall, it took about 10 years to do the research uh, that went into this book. And it took me about a year to write the book. Was there anything really interesting that you learned in the time prior to 1900 with our weather in Australia? Well, yes, it's really interesting because, I mean, we know that we are the land of drought and flooding rains, but we didn't really understand what these events were like in the past. And so being able to look back beyond the period of 1900, we were starting to look at um, droughts and floods that we've, we've never really looked at before or were really poorly described. For example, when um, the first fleet arrived in Sydney Cove, they were actually washed out by flooding rains. It was really cold and, and uh, the settlement was really uh, damaged by, by heavy rainfall. And then in 1790 through to 1791, the first documented account of drought conditions appear in historical record where they're talking about um, flying foxes and birds uh, falling out of the sky because of um, heat stress and and things like that. So there's some really interesting unknown periods of our drought and flood history that we're able to look at. So it was just a case of uncovering these really fascinating stories that we, we knew very little about. In your research with the dates prior to 1900, did it help to tap into Indigenous knowledge uh, at this time? So I I looked into Indigenous weather knowledge more after we did that project. So we looked at um, the Bureau of Meteorology have actually been working with local communities to try and uh, gather some of their local knowledge about Indigenous weather knowledge. And these are in the form of oral history. So they're stories that are told um, from elders through to, to younger people. Uh, and 
it turns out that there's um, a really rich history of um, information about uh, the changing of seasons from things like the, the, the flowering of um, plants or the arrival of certain water birds or just changes in the landscape that people were able to um, perceive and then they knew that the seasons were changing. And in fact, in different parts of Australia, there are up to six different seasons recognised. So in places around Sydney and even around um, Victoria, there are six different seasons that, that really reflect the changes that we see uh, in the uh, climate and also in the landscape. What message did you want to get across to readers reading this new book, Sunburnt Country? I guess I wanted to say that the science is crystal clear. Climate change is happening right now in Australia and we are already committed to dangerous levels of climate change here at home. And and the other thing that people don't realise is that Australia is actually the most vulnerable nation in the developed world when it comes to climate change. So I really wanted to tell those stories so people could actually join the dots between the things they might be seeing in the news and maybe their understanding of weather and climate and try and put all of that together. You just mentioned there that we are currently facing climate change. What changes in the environment are we seeing across Australia currently to indicate this? Well, probably the clearest example that I could um, give you is what's been happening on the Great Barrier Reef over the past two years. Uh, From 2016 to 2017, we've actually seen the dieback of 50% of the corals on the Great Barrier Reef. So 50% of the Great Barrier Reef has actually died over the last two years, and that's extraordinary. That is is something that we wouldn't expect to see uh, until um, probably in the middle of the century. But because the warming has been extensive um, in our region and and globally, we're starting to see things play out that perhaps um, we might not have expected so soon. That is absolutely frightening, isn't it, to see such statistics already? Oh, it is, and I think... One of the things about writing this book is that it allowed me that time to actually join the dots between all the things we now understand about natural climate variability and and also human-caused climate change. And and it really was an extraordinary opportunity to to piece all of that together. And, for example, with the Great Barrier Reef, there's now scientific studies that you can do which uses uh, climate models. And what you can do is run models with greenhouse gases and just models with just natural variability. And then you can compare the likelihood of these types of extremes like mass bleaching, have uh, what, what the differences are between those two likelihoods. And it turns out that the mass bleaching that we saw on the Great Barrier Reef was made 175 times more likely because of climate change. And so that, these are some of the advances we've seen in our field in recent years. And that's why I think we've actually been in the position for the first time to be able to really draw some of this information together. In your opinion, how long do we have left to save the reef? Well, I think it really depends on how quickly we put the brakes on greenhouse gas emissions. And the good news is that all the technology we need to limit the amount of dangerous climate change already exists. And so there's actually a clean energy revolution that's happening all over the world and even here in Australia, but we really need to embrace this change. So what what kind of um, impacts we experience in the Great Barrier Reef is very much tied to... Uh, the global story as well. What have you discovered about climate change that you simply did not know before or weren't aware of? Well, I think sometimes people think we've been through ice ages before and so we've seen all this sort of climate variability and extremes uh, in the past. And I think that what I discovered with this book is that it's the rates and the magnitude of change that really matters. So, for example, the global warming that we've witnessed since the Industrial Revolution around 1850 is about eight and a half times faster than the average rate of warming 
coming out of the last ice age. So we've actually just accelerated the rates of change. And I think that's really important to remember. Uh, and so while we have had natural variability, we've just now changed the chemistry of the atmosphere and the ocean in such a way that natural variability is starting to shift. And I think um, that was, it was really interesting for me to be able to see that in a range of different uh, records that we looked at. This week, you're listening to a conversation on a new book, The Sunburnt Country. And I'm joined by the author, Joel Gerges, an award-winning climate scientist and a writer from the University of Melbourne, on her new publication on the history and the future of climate change in Australia, a sunburnt country. I know there's lots of negativity surrounding the words climate change. What are the positives? I think it's really, we've come to a fork in the road where it's really important to have your voice heard and take a stand. And I think that people now realise that. And we're actually engaging people from all walks of life, from farmers to Indigenous people, environmentalists, the young and the old. And I think the Sopadani movement is, um, is a really interesting example of this. It's now made up of millions of uh, individuals and community groups across Australia. And Bob Brown's even called it... Uh, Stopping Adani uh, as the, the generation's, this generation's most urgent call to action. So it's one of these things where we have to take a, a stand for the things that really matter and the kind of future that we want to experience in Australia. Let's talk about the future right here in Australia. How does it look for us, Mob? Well, if we stay on our uh, current trajectory, um, so business as usual, Australia typically warms by about four degrees by the end of the century. Inland areas are harder hit, where some areas actually experience over five degrees of warming. And so what that really means is we're talking about a hotter Australia. And in different parts of Australia, we have different rainfall patterns. But uh, on the east coast, where a lot of Australia's population lives, we're looking at an increase in extreme rainfall. So periods where we have uh, severe droughts followed by torrential deluges, uh, because when you actually warm the climate, uh, it causes more evaporation, so there's more water vapour available in the atmosphere to uh, fall as rainfall. And, and so we, we've actually seen an increase in extreme rainfall in, in recent years, and this is the sort of thing that we'll see starting to play out. So extreme droughts followed by flooding in, in parts of eastern Australia. And so in a world like that, that also changes the way that our, um, our society operates. If we've got extreme heat in the future. Places like Sydney and Melbourne will experience summer temperatures that soar past the 50 degree mark in years to come. Uh, as the sea level continues to rise, we also see threats to our coastal communities from inundation from high tide level storm surges associated with tropical cyclone activities or uh, also east coast low storm systems. So it increases our vulnerability, which we already have as a very... Um, as a country with a lot of uh, with high climate variability, it's really interesting what you just mentioned there about the rising sea levels. I was watching uh, the closing ceremony for the Commonwealth Games, and there was an aerial shot looking down uh, on the beach and the ocean at at Surface Paradise. And I do remember that strip of beach as a little girl. I'm sure it was a couple of hundred meters long back then. Nowadays, it's, it's reduced to almost nothing. Absolutely. We're seeing really major changes in Australia's coastal environments. And the other issue is that 85% of Australia's population actually lives in the coastal zone. So, again, that makes us really vulnerable to changes that we might see in things like high tides and storm surges and, and the like as the sea level continues to rise. And so 
we are really vulnerable to climate change as Australians and I really hope that this book, Sunburnt Country, really helps shine a light for people that really just want to piece together uh, what we understand about cl climate change. And, and the book really um, is, isn't written for a scientist. You don't need to be a scientist to read the book. You just have to have an open mind and be interested in, in wanting to learn a bit more. I'm really interested to know what would you say to any climate change non-believers out there because there are many people who simply do not believe that uh, it is such a thing. What would you say to these people? Well, firstly, I think it's a case of understanding rather than believing. So I don't think it's quite right to say uh, I don't believe in climate change. It might be more correct to say I don't understand climate change. Mm. But as I said before, it really has to do with the rate and the magnitude of climate change that we're experiencing. So we've always had things like ice ages and we have seasons and we have, you know, warm years and cool years, but the differences in terms of the, the rates that we're seeing this warming. For example, carbon dioxide levels have increased 30 times faster than the pre-industrial rates of change, meaning that we're actually accelerating these natural rates of climate variability in the system, which is, it is really important. And the other important thing I think to remember is that at the height of the last ice age, which was about 18,000 years ago, the world's population was probably about four to five million people. So the population of around Sydney spread out throughout the whole globe in these low-tech nomadic tribal groups. But right now, the world's population stands at 7.6 billion, with over 80 million people added every single year. And so when you think about that, it's not an apples-to-apples apples comparison. We now live in, in complex, industrialised societies where... It's just not the same as, as there's no geologic analogue, if you like, for, for what we're experiencing right now. And things are so different that we've actually come up with a new term for this period, which is called the Anthropocene. Uh, and that really talks oh. about how humans have become a geologic agent on the planet. And that's what I think is really different about um, what we've experienced in the past. So no one is disputing that we've had natural climate variability before. Absolutely, we have. But we've actually increased that rate and the magnitude of that change. And also there are a lot more humans on the planet which have to deal with that change, which makes it also an ethical issue more than even a scientific one. And you're just talking about there, about people on the planet. What can we do as everyday citizens to uh, help uh, alleviate climate change, if you like? Well, I think the good news is that all the technology we need to limit the amount of dangerous climate change we'll, we ex will experience already exists. And I think it's just a case of really probably two things. Getting behind um, our leaders, whether they be political leaders or community leaders or business leaders that are looking to transition into this clean energy revolution that is being experienced around the world. I think it's really important that people um, yeah, exercise their right to vote on, on local, state and federal levels to really have their voices heard. You've been listening to Earth Matters and broadcast on the Community Radio Network with me, Kerry Lee Harding. And today on the program, you've been listening to a conversation on A Sunburnt Country, a new book release on climate change in Australia with my guest, author Joel Gerges, an award-winning climate scientist and writer from the University of Melbourne. Earth Matters is produced in the studios of 3CR Radio in Fitzroy, Victoria, on the lands of the Wurundjeri and is broadcast nationally on community radio stations around the country with thanks to the Community Radio Network. Earth Matters would like to thank the Community Broadcasting Federation for their generous financial support. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email earthmatters3cr at gmail.com 
or visit our Facebook page, Earth Matters 3CR Radio. You can also follow us on Twitter at EarthM Radio. If you'd like to listen or share this or previous editions of the show, you can find all our podcasts at 3cr.org.au forward slash Earth Matters. Well, that's all for today. I do hope you've enjoyed listening to the program and thanks for your company this week. And the Earth Matters team will be back again next week with more deadly green social justice news from all over this awesome planet. I'm Kerry Lee Harding. I'll see you next time.